Welcome to the Life Podcast. We're so glad that you're joining us for another hope-filled message. We pray that you're encouraged by this powerful word from our Sunday service. There's an incredible character. His name was King Solomon. And he was known in his day as the wisest man in the East. And if you ever want to know his wisdom, I'd encourage you to go to the book of Ecclesiastes as a start and read about the wisdom that he brings to the table. Verse 9 of Ecclesiastes chapter 3, this is what he says. What profit has the work from that for which one labors? That's an interesting statement. In all of our humanity and everything we do and even the work that we're involved in, what profit is there? How many would agree that's a great question to ask because you can say, well, I'm enjoying my work. Well, that's a profit. But we can get caught up in things that have no profit and that's where he was going. No eternal profit, no real value that has lasting eternal echoes attached to it. Then he says, I have seen the God-given tasks with which the sons of men, the daughters of men are to be occupied. God has made everything beautiful in its time. If you get the timing wrong, you can get confused. If you don't understand how God sees life and the time schedule that he has versus our expectation, then you will get waylaid. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, listen to this, he has put eternity in their heart. Having worked with people most of my life, I discover that there is a lot of emptiness. You see, you think sometimes when you're young that if I got the dream job, then I would find satisfaction. If you're longing to be married, you've never found your life partner and never been married, it's like, well, if I got married, everything would be different. Uh, If I just amassed enough finances to get my first home or my home, or if I could just do this, or I just could go to the Grand Prix somewhere, or if I could just catch a big snapper. (laughs) If I just achieved this stuff in this life, but you get it sometimes and you go, why does it still feel empty? And Solomon was saying, well, that's because God has put eternity in a human heart. God has made you and I for eternity. And I think sometimes we don't engage in eternity. I've I've got to admit, I'm one of those that have been guilty of going, I know there's an eternity and I know that God has made me for eternity. So that's cool. Let's just go there. I'm ready for whatever God wants to do, only to realize that sometimes we should dig deeper and discover a little bit more about eternity and that we were created for eternity because then he goes on, so who can find out? um, Who can put eternity in his heart except that no one will find out the work that God does from the beginning. Here's the equation he's presenting. You will not understand the fullness of eternity by the confines of this life. So if you find yourself confused and you've got questions about God, I want to tell you, hey, we've all had those, but when you begin to engage eternity, your perspective as is behind me, the the telescope 
changes our perspective so we begin to see the fuller picture from God's point of view rather than just our human natural limitation. And I believe that God is stirring the church and beginning to say, hey, it's time for us to see things different. Uh, last week I shared, and I have shared earlier on, how Marie and I and our family have gone through a particular 12-month season that was completely unexpected. When you find out you've got stage four cancer and you're terminal according to the medical uh, opinion, which is all good and all fair and all right, you go, wow, so my life could be over. Uh, particularly with the brain uh, challenges that I had, uh, it was just a matter of months if they weren't able to do something. The good news, of course, as we stand here today, a year on from prognosis. But it does bring you into a position where you begin to go, okay, so have I lived my life the way I should have lived it, wanted to live it? Have I built a life with eternal value? Have I focused on the most important, bigger picture or caught up in the detail of the smaller or the past picture. Even D.L. Moody, if you know anything about him, incredible man of God, he understood eternity. And this is what he said on his deathbed, which is so amazing. He said, soon you will hear in the newspaper that I am dead. Isn't it funny that Christendom today, even Christians across the globe, if you mention the word death, they say, don't say that. He just boldly says, soon you'll find out I'm dead. Hey, by the way, it's going to happen to all of us. Don't believe that, however, for a moment. Don't you believe it? I will be more alive. Once I pass that than ever before. You see, in my life, earth recedes, but heaven opens before me. My question would be, I wonder whether you fear death. I wonder if you're caught so much in this world that you haven't accessed the telescope and begun to focus in on, okay, so how do I engage eternity? How do I bring it into focus? Let me put it this way as I wrote this this week. Could it be that God uses suffering and impending death to unfasten us from this earth and set our minds on that which lies beyond. We don't lose loved ones, but rather we see them transition to the place they were created for. Eternity. When I heard some teaching on eternity as a boy in church, the tone was fear. I don't know if you ever saw the movie back when I was a teenager called A Thief in the Night. And it's kind of like, oh, flip. You know, if you don't smile at people, you're going to hell. <laughs> I still remember the picture in my mind where they're mowing the lawn and it says, you know, there will come the rapture and those that are right with God will be taken up. The Bible actually talks about that. Will be taken up in the clouds and those that are not right with God will be left behind and the guy is mowing his lawn and then they shoot somewhere else and they go back. The lawnmower is still going, but he's gone. And I remember when I saw that movie, I thought, oh God, I don't know what sins I've done this week, but I'm sure I've done a lot and I am real, real sorry. Not, I don't want to mow the lawns, I'm just real sorry. I just... <laughs> I 
God doesn't want us to fear the truth of His Word. God wants to unlock our potential through the absoluteness of how life works. And so we need to engage eternity. We need to bring an understanding. I'm absolutely committed to bring understanding, whether it's kosher, whether it's accepted by modern day view on Christianity or not. We're going to bring the truth of God's Word because that's what sets a human being free. By the way, the enemy's plan for you is to instill fear, to focus you on distraction, to get caught up with the things that have no eternal value, to ultimately produce even division in the church. That's what he used COVID for. And God's going, no, you should be reading your Bible more in Ephesians 5, take up the whole armor of God, put on the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the sword of the Spirit, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, the belt of truth. You need to live above modern culture. You've got to come back to truth that never changes. So then we say, well, then how, Paul, would we engage eternity? How do we do that? How do we literally Learn to do it in every single season. Jesus constantly taught from an eternal perspective. Read your Bible again and read how Jesus taught, and he's always talking from eternity. Paul the Apostle learned to live from an eternal perspective. And yet I've been guilty of going, yeah, eternity's going to happen, and I'm ready for it by God's grace, but I'm not really thinking about it. Because I'll leave it to God. And I, I just realized, no, I've got to change my view on that. God, I'm sorry. I, I think we've got to get motivated that the real us and the real reason for existence is all about eternity. That's why Paul could write this. He said, hey, in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 17, he says, Here, this is him writing from prison. He says, for our light affliction, which is just but for a moment. Come on, I'm talking to people today. And you're going through something that's deep waters and it's dark and it's been longer than you expected. And you know what Paul says? Yep, here I am in prison again and I've been stoned and I've been shipwrecked and I've been through all stuff. He says, it's only a light affliction which is but for a moment. But what it's doing is working an exceedingly eternal weight of glory in me. Wow. Kind of like it's bringing the shift. I said it, I think last week, I said, you know, I wouldn't wish what we've gone through on anyone else, but I wouldn't change it for anything. Because I realized that God is bringing some gold. And so we're digging in a different patch right now. And we're just saying, you know what? We're here not for anything less than reaching people for a right eternity in the things of God. We saw last week very quickly, eternity will establish lasting completeness. I'm not going to re-preach that, but you will not, I cannot, no human being can find lasting completeness until we get to eternity. We can have seasons of completeness. And when we push into God, we find a completeness, but then as soon as we back off, we lose that. Hey, eternity, you'll be in lasting completeness. Don't need to go searching for anything else. Don't need to have another want list or another distract list. No, we'll just keep in that place of absolute completeness. I'm excited about this anyway. Eternity, secondly, last week, will bring clarity to our confusion. Again, the Bible makes it really clear. 
So you can't know answers to some of the questions you have in your human pilgrimage. You won't find those out, but eternity will show you. And everything that God does and everything that God allows, let me be clear, is that He works from eternity back. So when we're at a funeral of a lost loved one that we never expected to happen and we go, God, God says, well, I don't cause death, but it is appointed unto man once to die and after that the judgment. So everybody will die. But the devil wants to create death everywhere, but I'll allow things because there's a bigger picture at play. There's an eternal picture. So for me, even this prognosis in these last 12 months, and by God's grace, I'm still standing, still fighting, still pushing through, still not giving up, just saying, well, God, you've allowed it. You haven't created it. You've allowed it so that I can learn what I need to learn. And I've discovered, hey, I'm here primarily to reach every person I can and drop seeds of eternal life. Preach a truth that's uncompromised, no matter what the modern day culture says is okay or not, Cole. And to come into that place of God, would would you bring that change in us? See, God works everything from eternity back. That's why He allows it. How could you allow that baby that died in the womb, God, didn't even have a chance of life, only got to six months, only got to two years. How could you allow that? And God says, do you know what? Every aborted baby, every unborn child, every little child will be with me in eternity. And then we'll see it in a whole different perspective. The power of seeing the way that God sees and the understanding behind what God does. We talked about eternity will involve one of two judgments, and there are two judgments for every human being that's ever been born. End of their lives, there'll be a judgment for believers, those that have accepted the forgiveness that Jesus brings. And then there'll be a judgment for those that have resisted that and said no to it. And the reality is that both of them have very different outcomes. Both will live for eternity. He's put eternity in your heart. Your life doesn't finish at death. You will live for eternity. Why? Because you're made in the image of God. And he created man with his breath. It's an eternal breath. But it becomes quiet because then you realize that those that reject God and say no to God will live for eternity away from the presence of God and will end up in a place that was not created for man, it was created for Satan and his angels, which there is torment. And you might say, well, that's unfair. We're going to look at that a little bit further today. But we need to go to a place where we understand that God has everything in control and God has a reason for everything. I want to go on today and I want to talk about eternity, but I want to use the word heaven. We're engaging eternity, but I want to encourage you that eternity is kind of challenging and also really exciting. Heaven will be immersed in righteousness. I want you to think about that. We can't imagine that. You imagine living in a new heaven and a new earth that is immersed, completely immersed in righteousness. 
Nobody's trying to rip you off. You don't have to follow up any contractors. There's no one that's scheming behind your back. There's no residue of what you've gone through. There's no hurt. There's no pain. There's no sickness. There's no limitation. Come on. What? It's going to be immersed in righteousness. Everything will be right and the way it was originally intended to be. 2 Peter 3 and verse 10. But the day of the Lord, the Bible says, will come as a thief in the night. In other words, it's going to come in a time we don't expect it. In which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt, the Bible says, with fervor or fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Everything will go. Therefore, since all these things will be, will dissolve, what manner, what kind of person ought we to be? Should we not be holy? Holy in conduct and godliness? Looking for the hastening of the coming of the day of God. Because of which the heavens will be dissolved and being on fire. You know, it goes on and it speaks more about it, but the challenge with it for all of us is that we should be so committed to the next life that we realize we're going to get this right. We're going to do it God's way, not the comfortable way all the time, not what other people would suggest would be a shift to what God's Word says. No, we've got to do it God's way. How could many people say, God, who is a loving God, have an eternity then that will actually be torment for human beings that I know that refuse to accept God's forgiveness? Because heaven is saturated, immersed in righteousness. God, as I said, never made hell for humans. But His righteousness demands all unrighteousness be removed. We're in a world where righteousness and unrighteousness cohabitate. God didn't create you or me for that. You see, unrighteousness separates us from God. God is holy. God is righteous. And righteous, unrighteousness can't exist. If you want to know what heaven's like, Read again Genesis 3. It's the story of Adam and Eve. It's an amazing account. I think the Garden of Eden is a great snapshot of where heaven starts. There isn't any unrighteousness, but there is still decision. And the reason for that is that man was to choose to worship God, and he therefore needed a choice that he could disobey. And here we are in the garden and there's a beast that has a choice. It's called the serpent, the devil. The serpent was more cunning, verse 1 of Genesis 3, than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, hey, Eve, come here, dear. Kind of, we see this as kind of like, you know, out there stuff. It was just normal. It was just one of the animals. Hey, hey Eve, come on. 
Has God actually said? It's gone on through the generations. Do we really have to accept the truth as being true? Has God really said, you shall not eat of the tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, this is what what she said, we may eat of the trees in the garden, but of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. This is an amazing revelation. The tree that was in the middle of the garden was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. How many know that her and Adam both touched it and ate it, but they didn't die? What had happened is they had death to God. See, there's a separation between righteousness and unrighteousness. But as I began to say, Holy Spirit, show me something even more from it, I began to discover there is a whole lot more to it, that they were tricked into believing that they would have more, but they ended up with nothing. They ended up with separation. They ended up, and there is consequences for disobedience. Okay, we're in a world where you can't have consequences. Kids don't have consequences for disobedience, and yet we've got havoc all over our streets. We've got ram raids here in New Zealand. No, it's kind of like, well, you know, it's not so bad. Yeah, I know there's a past, but God's the only answer ultimately for that past to be fixed up. But there are consequences for disobedience. This might not be happy preaching, but it's liberating. And the Lord God said, behold, verse 22, the man has become like us to know good and evil and the least, and and now lest he be put, sorry, and now lest he put out his hand to take over or also of all of the tree of life to eat and eat it and live forevermore. Therefore, the Lord God said to him, out of the Garden of Eden. You know, there's another tree in the garden called the tree of life. And so he had taken, or they had taken of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so they have sinned against God. They could have taken the tree of life and lived forevermore in that state. But God in his grace and love for humanity said, that's not going to be the end of the story. I'm going to make a way back so all humanity can know forgiveness for sin and come into full relationship, not only here on earth, but all the way through into eternity. So he guarded the tree of life with the cherubim. And he stopped them being able to be a partaker for eternity with no answer. We today are here and we have an answer. His name is Jesus, and He's the one that can release us into the purposes and the promises of God. And I'm thankful for that. I don't know about you. Did you know that before they took of the tree of the knowledge in good and evil, they didn't understand nor have any connection with evil? All they knew was good. That's a picture of eternity. His righteousness will just be good. There will be no more temptation for evil because we made a decision here on earth to put that under the blood and our decision has been made therefore for eternity because His blood stands forever and ever and ever more. Your past is not what defines you. 
It may have consequences currently, but as you come close to Christ and come under that, his freedom can set you free. And I love that we can see God do that today for every one of us. Ephesians 5 and verse 1, Therefore, be imitators of God now, therefore, dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Then verse 3, I kind of stopped here as I was preparing this last couple of weeks, and I thought, oh my gosh, because this is what the Bible says. This is, by the way, not obsolete. It's true. There are some people that have a faith that say, well, the Bible was written a long time ago. Well, God's been here a long time ago. His word doesn't change. You don't add to it. You don't take it away. Yeah, but it was written by man. No, the Bible says it was inspired by the Holy Spirit through a human hand. If you won't accept that or you want to choose what you believe and don't believe, you may as well throw the whole lot out. You can't have part without corrupting the whole. That's why righteousness is whole righteousness, not part righteousness. That's why anything that is unrighteous cannot have an eternity. It's ouch. And I feel that pain. Because verse 3 says, fornicators won't get into heaven. What's that mean? What's a fornicator? I haven't heard that word. Not much in church anyway. Anyone that has sexual intimacy outside of a God-blessed marriage. Oh, we come to church, we've got a faith, we've been living together. I don't want to condemn you, I'm just saying that's not God's best for your life. It's time to get married if that's what you're going to do. And people go, oh, yeah, but I'm not sure. And it's like, you know, why do relationships lose its stick? Why is the world in such a mess? Because God designed it that we would find somebody and we would commit for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer. But you have a whole lot of partners that didn't work. We'll just try it. We'll try before we buy and we'll do all of that. And God says, I'm not a killjoy. I created you. I know what will work long term for you. I know what can be an answer for society and change things around. But fornicators, listen. And all uncleanness or covetousness, living your life wishing I had what someone else had. Let it not even be named among you. How many know this is getting pretty tough? That's fitting for saints to be like that. Neither filthy, filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving thanks to God. And as I said, I, I'm human, so I can give way to things that we shouldn't give way to. But the answer is to come back to Christ and make sure we are clothed in his righteousness and start to get right the things that are unaligned because that at the end, if it's not dealt with, will be a decision point whether we can go under the righteousness of Christ into an eternity with him or we face a lost eternity you know the challenge of that is that Revelation 20 and verse 10 says this the devil who deceived them yes he was cast into a lake of fire and brimstone and the beast and the false prophets there they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. 
Maybe I need some keys right now because it's getting quiet. And they saw a great white throne and him who sat on it from whose face the earth and heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, doesn't matter what status you have down here, standing before God. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works. And the things that were written in their books. The sea gave up their dead and were in it. Uh, that were in it. Sorry. And they were judged, each according to his own works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. It's hard for us humans to wrap our heads around that. But if it's God's word, it's God's word. People say, yeah, but I thought he's a God of grace. He's a God of grace, but he's a God of uncompromised truth. So he has grace for us, but his truth can't bend under grace. It's the strength of who we are. So there is a challenge that heaven will be immersed in righteousness and we need to make sure we live close to Christ and under the forgiveness of Christ to be in that righteousness. Not only that, very quickly, a second thought today would be this, that heaven will be saturated with God's presence. We won't just get a tingle in church or in a worship song. I remember as a boy going to a kid's camp and laying on the carpet for hours, I couldn't get off. The presence of God was just so comforting, strong. Felt like a weight that was just freeing me on the inside. I remember Marie going to Pensacola, or actually it was uh, Toronto. And she'd come from an abused background, and one of the meetings there, God's presence came on her, and she closed her eyes. She couldn't get off the ground. She went back to when she was, I think, 15, and God took a year or four, eight, from eight every year, showed her things that she'd been through and just undid the bondages of that. Can you imagine being in God's complete presence 24-7? But God says that can't exist when there's unrighteousness. So God's not here to damn people. God's here to release them for what they were originally intended and created for. This world is not what we were created for. No, this world has been corrupted by sin and we get so enamored sometimes with this world and it's like it's nothing. No, the complete saturation of God's presence. I love Psalm 16 and verse 11. God, you will show me the path of life because it's in your presence, fullness of joy. Ever had an unhappy day? Pastor, I've had an unhappy life. Fullness of joy. Fullness of joy. That's what it is. Complete presence. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. What's heaven going to be like? Are we just going to be sort of zumming around like a bumblebee? And if we were bad, we get a harp. If we're good, we got a trumpet. No, it's the other way around. 
No, 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 it's not like that. It's a new heaven, it's a new earth, it's a new beginning, it's a new start. It's back to the original intention of a loving Father that's here to bless and to release and to cover. But there's no sin, there's no consequence from sin. There's no memories of failure in the past. There's no hurt. That's why it's absolute, it's freeing, it's powerful. And the power and the presence of God. That's why Isaiah Isaiah 40, verse 28, Have you not known, have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth? He never faints, neither is he weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Stop trying to work it all out. He gives power to the weak, however, and those who have no, um, gives power to the weak, those who have no might, he increases strength. Even when youth shall faint and grow weary, and young men shall utterly fall, but those who wait on the Lord in God's presence, yeah, I love it, shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. Marie shares when I went in for the brain op just under a year ago, three big tumors or two big tumors, one small one, six and a half hour operation, which they made really clear that I, could well never come out of the op. And if I did, there could be complications. Well, praise God. She went home as I went into the operation, six and a half hours. She told me, I lay on my bed, I got my phone out, worship music on my chest. Just surrendered under the presence of God. She had a vision that she'll never forget. I'll never forget her telling me that for the first time. She saw me being operated on. She saw the Holy Spirit come into the room just cover my brain. I've still got some complications from what I'm going through, but my brain, by and large, it might be old age, a few things go wrong, but he was there. Can you imagine being for eternity, covered in God's presence? No soreness, no regret, no I wish I was, no it's unfair, by God, this is what we were created for. And then you say, yeah, but what's heaven really going to be like? Here's my final thought. Heaven will experience God's continual creativity. So whatever the Bible says about heaven, that's truth. But did you know that God has and is a creator? What happened before earth was created six, 7,000 years ago? God was creating in the past. God cannot but create. So whatever we understand, it's not going to be a numbing stage where you go, I'm going to get bored of eternity, same old, same old. No, it's going to be a continual creation. I'm looking forward to that. The Bible says, as I mentioned in Revelations 21 and verse 1, now there is a new heaven and a new earth. So this heaven will go, there'll be a new one and there'll be a brand new earth. So it's not like intangible, it's tangible. Love it. We're gonna spend some more time on this. I don't know when, but we're gonna go deeper. How many would like to know more about heaven? <laughs> also, I don't get this part, there was no more sea. I'm going, God, when I read that again, it's like, God, no, I like fishing, bro. And then I thought, he's going to continue to create. So him and I will have a talk when we get up there. I was like, mate, 
I won't be disappointed because there's no disappointment up there, but it's like, come on, let's do this thing. No hooks in the finger. It's, I get that. That's great. But Then I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of the heavens <laughs> from God, prepared as a bride adorned for a husband. It's like, whoa, this is unbelievable. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. That's the presence of God is with men. And He will dwell with them and they shall be His people and God Himself will be their God. No more devil, no more sin. Goes on at the end of the verse to say, the one who overcomes shall inherit all things. Everything that you've been wanting, everything you've been longing for, come on. Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a house for you. There'll be houses there. Come on, it talks about the streets of gold. It's going to be, it's like, it's more tangible than we realize. It's just brand new because there is no unrighteousness, no old. Look at me. Just look at me. I think it's time that we stop acting. I'm talking as a popper. As if heaven were a myth. Or it doesn't really matter. It's an impossible dream. It's dull. It doesn't really mean much. No, it's important that we don't live with that. I think it's time that we see heaven for what it really is and the reality of its existence. And the fact that to be a part of heaven, you need to come under the righteousness of Christ not a religious tick in the box. I believe it's time that we embrace eternity with a courageous joy. I couldn't tell you how many people said, I said, well, I, I may go. I, I'm comfortable with both. Don't say that. I've got a joy if that's what the, the greatest pain would be those that are still here. Because once you're there, you'll look back and go, man, why did we so resist it? It's going to be increasing excitement because the creativity of God. There's going to be a growing anticipation and an unrelenting commitment to build God's house is what I think we should be doing. What's the rewards that you're going to take? Because it's only kingdom, eternal value things that are going to remain the fire or last the fire. I think it's time to acknowledge our own human sin and compromise. And can I say it in 2022? Get used to repenting. And stop saying, well, it doesn't really matter. If it's in the book, it matters because Jesus said, I am the word. In me is life. And my life is abundant life. Have you been clothed in his righteousness? Thanks for listening to this podcast. We trust that you were encouraged by this powerful message. You always have a place to call home here at Life. And we invite you to join us for our Sunday services at any of our Auckland campuses. If you're not in Auckland, then check us out, Church Online, wherever you are in the world. Just head to lifenz.org or download the Life app to stay connected and find out more.